Happy Sabbath. It's good to see each one of you. I want to continue on, on our discussion for today and I'd like to bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father God, we are so grateful to you for your blessing, your goodness. We thank you for your love that you have extended to us, your children. Now, Lord, I pray that what I should say, that it should not be mine, but Lord, let it be thine. Hide me behind the cross and just let me be a mouthpiece used by you. Lord, is it into your hand that I commend my spirit? And Lord, you teach us what you want us to know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to read from the Revised Standard uh, uh, Version, uh, Matthew 25, starting at verse 35. It says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or in needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I'd like to just speak for a little while on the subject, the least of these. The least of these. My theme for today is a man without compassion is a man without a destiny. And why do I say that? Because the word compassion uh, epitomizes love. And as we know, love is really the foundation and the guiding principle of the Ten Commandments. And God's love uh, is personified uh, as we love him in the very first uh, four commandments. And in the last six, he talks about our love for our fellow man. So if we don't love, we retaliate against the fact that God is love and the fact that it, it was through love that Jesus died on Calvary. It was love when God was thinking of just wiping out all of mankind. And Jesus told him, no, Father, don't wipe them out. Give them to me. And he came and he gave himself um, for 
us. And that was love. So our whole destiny is tied up in that element of compassion and love for others. In this text, we find Jesus really making a compassionate, and not only a compassionate, but a passionate plea uh, for his followers and his church to have mercy upon those who have been kicked to the side and those who are in prison or who are in exile, those who have been dehumanized and disenfranchised. Have mercy upon those individuals. We, we know that with them being locked away, they're out of sight and, and out of mind. But Jesus said, don't forget them because they're Two classes of people today that we will be dealing with. Um, one is those who have done and those who have not done. That's why Christ says, was saying, uh, depart from me, I never knew you, would be to those who neglected the opportunity to love those and work for those souls that Christ has entrusted us to do so. Those who are in these classes, their eternal destiny will be determined by what they have done or neglected to do for Christ in the person of the sick and the shut-in and the prisoners. We have been on that mountain of indifference so long that we must now change our focus and think about the least of these. We have to refocus and think about those locked up, those who are out on the street, and opening up our church for ministry and outreach so that we can fulfill the needs of those God have placed in our charge. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, the fact is that our destiny is tied up in the destiny of the poor. We cannot neglect the poor. When Jesus blesses us, he expects us to bless others. <coughs> and I'm here to submit to you that as long as there is poverty in the world, that we cannot be totally rich. Uh, when you look at statistics today, 18% uh, of the people control all of the wealth of the world. In the United States of America, 98% of the people are either in the middle class or down lower. 2% controls the money in the United States of America. And there are many of us who are in what we are, I call middle class poverty. We just make enough money to keep things floating 
And most of us, if we miss three paychecks, we are out on the streets too. And so I find myself today that if I am broke, I don't feel bad because I'm just normal. Because we all pretty much feel that way unless we are, a few may be kind of abnormal with a lot of money. But being broke is, is nothing wrong with that. It, it helps you to learn to trust in Jesus more. As long as there are prisoners in, in the world, we cannot be totally free. We, and I, I mentioned earlier, you know, about all of the prisoners who are in prison in the United States of America. Oh, 2.3 to 2.7 million are locked up in our prisons in this country. And, and 9.2 million around the world. We have 65,000 young people locked up in juvenile detention centers. 2,600 young people are in, in federal prison, and not federal, but in prisons. And over 6,600 young people are in adult jails ready to go to prison. And the bad thing about young people being confined to prison is that they listen to the other guys who are there, and it does not help them to straighten their lives out. Willie McGee, a young inmate in prison, went to prison, adult prison in Florida when he was 12 years old. And as he sat among the other guys, and they were asking him, what have you learned? Do you think that you've learned enough that this will make you a better person? And, and Willie McGee was not a... Uh, uh, a kid that, were, that, that was not intellectually smart, he was an honor student. And Will McGee say that the only thing that I have learned in prison is how to be a better criminal. And that's a bad thing. When there are not things in prison that are geared toward helping men and women to become better when they come out of prison. And that's where we come in, church that we have to take that role. When a lot of things have been cut out in the prison system that help people to be, can use, if I can use this word, rehabilitated. We need to be actively involved in those things like providing education, tutorial services, and and, and teaching them how to make it once they come outside of the prison. And as long as there, there is hunger in the world, we cannot be truly food satisfied. Do you recognize that there is a food epidemic in the Seventh-day Adventist church? That one out of every ten People, families in this church are food starved. It's a shame that in the United States of America, we got warehouses full of food. Why don't they turn loose some of those, that government cheese and Donald Duck orange juice that they have stockpiled? They would rather see stuff rot 
then they give it to the poor. There, this, there's, it's a shame that kids in this country are dying because they didn't have enough to eat. Poverty. There's no need for that uh, in America. When we have a land of plenty. As, there, as long as there are homeless people in, in this world, we cannot be home secure. And as I said earlier, it only takes a few paychecks and we will be out there too. There's no need for them to have to worry about having a place to stay or a roof over their head. We are all tied together by a single garment of destiny in an inescapable network of mutuality. What affects one affects us all indirectly. And we can note that by the rising cost of things in the economy. For some reason, I tend to believe that I cannot be what I ought to be until you become what you ought to be. And vice versa. We can't live in a sterile vacuum of disinterested benevolence and fulfill the mission of God for our lives. We have to come out of the bubble. We got to come out, step outside of the box in the church. We have to be active in outreach. We got to open these doors of the church. We have to feed the hungry. We got to visit the prisons. We got to go to the nursing homes. We have to set up ministries that can minister to inmates' families and their children. I guess John Doan had it right when he said, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Any man's death diminishes me because I am, am involved in mankind. Because of this, not only is Jesus making a compassionate plea, but he is given a commission and an imperative to do prison ministry. It's an imperative. When Jesus says it is an imperative, it is necessary for us to do prison ministry. And I'm glad that, that you have, have, have generated that interest here at this church to get involved in prison ministry. For so long, that was not the case in the church. Nobody cared about those who were behind the wall. But I'm so glad that the Spirit of God is moving and people are getting uh, a hold to this thing and grasping it and, and, and working at making a difference in prison ministry. And as we said earlier, prison ministry is not a happenstance ministry. It is an intentional ministry that God gave to us because he had children in prison that had to be reached. What about the Israelites when they were in Egypt, in Babylonian captivity? All through 
biblical history, God's children have been behind walls and captured in captivity. And today, his children are still behind walls and being captured, and their cry is being heard by God. And he's telling us that we need to go and do prison ministry. We need to reach out. We need to step outside of our boxes and do something to help those. I don't know how we could ever be complacent about what Jesus was compassionate about. It meant a lot to Jesus. It ought to mean a lot, mean a lot to us. We have to move from our stagnating complacency and dead and in passivity. Prisoners are, are not things to be used and dehumanized. They are not to be identified by numbers, and when someone calls them, they call them 10, 38, 13, they don't call them John Smith or, or Jerry Lawford or whoever their name might be. And that is the only way that they are identified in prison is by numbers. Man is more than a number. He is a human being. He is one who has been made in the image of God. And no matter how much Satan tries to deface the image of God, he's still a child of God made in his image. And we have a job to do, church. We have to get out there and we have to tell those men and women who are locked up, who've been trampled upon by the iron feet of oppression. Prisoners find themselves on this lonely island of hopelessness in an ocean of an of an abysmal frustration. For many years, we were sitting on this mountain of indifference in the church, but I'm glad today that somebody is thinking about the prisoner. Did you know, church, that when you look at prisons and jails, it presents a microcosm of the challenges confronting the church? There used to be a time when when we could say, you know, well, prison is for other folks, not for our kids. But our children are going too. More and more Adventists are coming to prison now for the same crimes. All it takes is them just to get with the wrong crowd. And we see all kinds of things why they are coming to prison, whether it's poverty or violence or drugs or whether it's alcohol abuse or personal and family brokenness or isolation or loneliness or anger or guilt or despair, whatever kind of thing that grips them and causes them to move off track, they are coming to prison. And so do we have any questions about whether it's feasible for us to be involved in prison ministry? How do we know that our sons and daughters are not going to get off track? How do we know that our grandchildren are not going to get off the track? How do we know that we are not going to get off the track? Because you never know what will happen in this world. So all the thing we can pray is, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And who are the least of these? These are the men who 
are in these archetype cages of poverty in an affluent society? Who are the least of these? Are people who feel like life is a long corridor with no exercise? Who are the least of these? Men who sit in, in claustrophobic cells with clouds of inferiority floating in their mental horizon because they feel like they are trapped in an atmospheric, atmospheric layer of hopelessness and despair and they feel like they're in constant frustration. Who are the least of these? Those who are caught in the fatigue of despair, destitute of hope. And we would never know who the least of these as a church if we continue to be a drive-in theater. Well, we drive in on Sabbath and we get chocolates. And we go home and we never come back until the next Sabbath. Uh, we don't come back uh, for AY. We don't have any outreach ministries. We'll never know. If, as we had stated earlier, if this church was burned down, would anybody miss it? You know what happens when a church is not active? It results in church cannibalism. When we don't work for others, guess what we work on? We work on each other. But if we are busy working for the Lord, we don't have time uh, for that. We would never know who the least of these if the church stays in a welfare mode. That we always look for somebody to give us something, but we never get out and do what we're supposed to do in giving to those who are in need. Christ himself was a man of action. He was not a man of reception. He never expected folks to give him anything. He was a servant. He was busy serving others. And Christ said that if you want to be great, then be a servant. And we have that job to be a servant to those who are standing in need. Maybe we can't love our brothers and in the community because we can't love our own church members. Sometimes that's a problem. Uh, Sometimes that's why we have cliques. That's why some people get invited and some people don't get invited. Those things happen. You probably don't, these kind of things probably don't happen in Hawaii. But they happen in America. Uh, well, you America too, but, but, but it happens, you know what I'm talking about, across the waters. Yeah. It happens there all the time. And when people have cliques and, and so busy keeping up commotion that they fail to do the work that Christ calls them to do. Loving our brothers and our sisters, that's the ultimate that God expects for us to do. Now, you may say that prison is a place that I can't stand to go. You may say that it is too tough for me to go behind those walls and to, to do the work of God. But I want to share with you right now in this segment some ways in which you can go behind the walls and do prison ministry. 
And so what this will do, it will expel all of your doubts about whether you can do prison ministry or not. Everybody in the church can do prison ministry. There is no one in this church that cannot do prison ministry, whether you're um, two years old or whether you're 102. Because even a two-year-old can say some good prayers um, for those who are locked up. So are you afraid to go behind the walls? Yes, some of you are because you're scared of those doors slamming behind you. And let me tell you, they do clink pretty loud. Um, and they can be frightening. The first time that I went to, into a prison, I went through 11 doors, and they all slammed behind me. And then I walked out on the yard. There were about 1,000 or 1,500 inmates just wandering all over the yard at the prison. And I had to walk at least 2,500 feet to the chapel to be interviewed uh, for a position in chaplaincy. Um, so it could be a frightening thing for those who are afraid. But I, for never for one moment in prison was I afraid of any inmate. I, I remember when they used to give me permission, I would take 15 inmates all across the state of Tennessee by myself and never had a problem with any of them. Nobody never tried to run off. Nobody was ever disrespectful disrespectful. It was an opportunity for them to get out and talk to young people and tell them about their lives and to try to keep them off, young people off of drugs and alcohol and out of prison. Um, and so they enjoyed doing that. And in the process of them talking about their lives, it made them better people. And in the process of that, I formed a group called Don't Follow Me, I Walked That Way Before, made up of prison inmates and ex-offenders. And we, we won three Emmy Awards. We were the, the best innovative group in Middle Tennessee, won first place in the Fritz Foundation. Uh, for that, we won first place in the American Black Journalist Associ Journalists Association. We had all kinds of awards that we won uh, for that program of trying to reach young people. But it was a ministry that we could do out in the community uh, to help others. And so we'd like to go to the next sli slide and show you some ways that you can do it. Now, I don't know how close the closest prison here from here, but I know that there is at least one prison from just looking at stats and jails. And, and what, if you have a van ministry, just say that, that you have have, have men in prison, their wives are on the other side, are, are distant from the prison. They don't have transportation and can't get to the prison. What a van ministry does, and you could just do this maybe once a month, what it allows you to do is to pick up the family of the inmates, take them to the prison, and you drop them off at the guard shack. You don't have to go inside of the prison. All you have to do is have a van ministry coordinator, a secretary to keep up with appointments and make the schedules, and to put literature in the van, 
Uh, and when the person gives you their name and their phone number, guess what? You got a list of people that you can work with. You got a list of people that you can give Bible studies to. Uh, but did you have to go inside the prison? You didn't, did you? All you had to do was pick them up. You have people that you can work with. Toiletry ministry. There are men and women who are locked up in prison who don't have toothpaste. They're, they don't have jobs. They don't have anybody to send them anything. So if you put non-sharpies, non-alcoholic things into uh, uh, makeup toiletry kits and give them to the chaplain, the jail superintendent, or the wardens of that prison uh, to give the men and women who have no means of buying things uh, so that they can take care of it. And, and on that, you can stick a little piece of literature, maybe if they allow you in Hawaii to stick it in the bag, but if not, uh, you could have a bag with the name of your church uh, and your, your address of your church so that when men and women see that, they will know that this church was the church that provided these things for us. Clothing ministry. Now, men and women in, in prison here in Hawaii, they only have designer clothes. And it has Hawaiian Department of Corrections. And so if you have a clothing ministry, maybe you can give them three or four changes of clothes and some shoes and underwear uh, when they come out, or a jacket of some kind. And so this list can be placed at the prison. And inside of the prison, uh, the inmates can see the list on the bulletin board, or it can be put in their, uh, their we call it a jacket. Uh, but it's really kind of like uh, guidelines and information regarding the prison and what is expected to you when you come into prison, programs and things available to you. If that is placed in, inside of that jacket, that, uh, the fact that you have a, have a van ministry and a clothing ministry, then they have access to it. And then they know for a fact that who is providing these clothes for me? It's the Adventist church. And when men and women know that you love them and you show generosity to them inside of the prison, it makes all of the difference in the world for them coming out and becoming a part of your fellowship. The angel tree ministry is a ministry that you do for children. Now you know, these three ministries we already said, did you have to go behind the walls? Is there an excuse why we can't do one of them? Not at all. Now angel tree ministry is a ministry for the children of in inmates. Um, one, during Christmas time, usually, Children of inmates don't get very much. But if you had the name of the, the inmate, the name of the children, the sizes of the clothes, the children, the toys, or something that they might like to have, uh, then you can purchase those things uh, for them uh, and provide those gifts for them. Now, when you give a child something, don't give a child anything that you wouldn't want your child to wear. Okay, don't give them anything all used up. And don't go and, and, and maybe buy a, something uh, from the dollar store that when you wash it the first time, uh, it might have been jeans, but now they're capris. 
Uh, in other words, I'm saying, get something of good quality, something that you would want to wear uh, when, you, when you give it to them. Uh, and, and, and here's the second thing about ministry to children with Angel Tree Program. Guess what? If you have summer camps around, guess what? You got the names of kids already to send to summer camps. Do you know that churches have been started because of kids going to summer camp? And the far-reaching effect of that ministry. And, and again, you don't have to go inside of the prison. You're doing this right from the church. Support groups is a group that, that I would suggest, you know, that, that many men have, are in prison and then women are outside in their families. When a man goes to prison, guess who else goes? His family goes to prison. So women need support. And in the support groups, you can, can at least have just one place, whether you rent a place or whether they come to church, come here to church and you got a room that you can have, have the meetings in. Uh, that they can open up, that they can express themselves, that you can become like an advocacy for them. Uh, that you listen to them, and, and they can bring their children, and while you're talking to the adults, and you don't really need to spend no more than an hour for, for the meeting. Someone could be keeping the children and providing activities uh, in another room. And, and the other thing that you can do in support groups, that with women, you can have a ladies' night out. Uh, you can have a children's day out. A lot of children have, haven't seen some of the the, the common things that you have around, that you take for granted, that they can go to. And, and this ministry would be a great ministry. And, and when men see that you love their families, when they come out of church, they're going to come where their families are. And, if, and if, if you're working with the families and they want Bible studies, then you've got more members coming into your church. And it's a grand opportunity. Then we have some, some more ministries that I'd like to quickly share with you. We'll click to the next slide. Uh, transitional house ministry. A lot of men and women who come out of prison don't have anywhere to stay. Uh, in Tennessee, if a woman came to parole, she made parole, and if it came time for her to get out, if she didn't have a place to stay, guess what? They would rescind her parole and she'd have to start all over again. So a transition house for women is, is, is a vital need. Um, and also a place for men, notice we call it a transitional house, not a halfway house. Because a halfway house is a halfway between what? But a transitional house is that you're trying to help a man transition uh, from prison into a position where he can take care of himself. And when you run in a transitional facility, it's not a welfare center, it's a transitional facility where a man, if he stays there, he pays. Because what it teaches him how to be on his own when he gets out on his own from there. Because the average stay at a transitional house is usually three to 4.5 months, and they're going on somewhere else. Then, Child placement services. Sometimes you're able to work with agencies where you can assist with in finding a home for children or, or women 
who are, who are pregnant. When women come into prison, they will, some states will let them bond maybe through two or three days with the child. Some states won't. And usually the child is going to state custody or to a relative. And if they go to state custody, guess what? State lose some more money is being made. And if, if, it's, if it costs $40,000 to keep a, a person locked up in prison, it probably going to cost the same amount for them children to be taken care of. Because now you got health care, you got food stamps, you, uh, and, and you got housing and all those things that are going on. Volunteer literacy, a lot of men can't read and write. It's another ministry that you can do. A lot of families can't read and write. Now sometimes you may have to go behind the walls for volunteer literacy, but you can do volunteer literacy on the outside because there are a lot of families and families' children who need that help to be able to read and write. GED and ABE can be done right from your church to help families. That's prison ministry. If you're helping the families of prisoners, that's prison ministry right at your church. And quilting ministry is another ministry that you can teach ladies how to do. Uh, and a lot of times when they make that, they like to do something to help others, so they will probably donate it to someone. That's a ministry of love. And then survival skills, things that that, that sometimes women take, that you take for granted, that you think that women ought to know or people ought to know, like balancing a checkbook, like doing a budget, uh, like doing a resume, uh, filling out a job application that we take for granted. A lot of them have no idea. Let me ask you this question. What kind of application would a drug dealer know how to fill out? He didn't have to fill out job applications, did he, um, for his job. And I believe that if a man can sell drugs on the street corner, that man can sell anything in the world. He can sell for Microsoft. He can sell for Ford. Um, he can make tons of money because he already has the nerve to walk up to people and to do that. Uh, job readiness, helping people to get prepared for jobs. Every church that's doing prison ministry ought to have a job database where you have already contacted employees to see who will hire inmates who come out of prison. And not only that, uh, have someone in this area who can teach men how to be entrepreneurs. Maybe they might want to be landscaping. Maybe they want to do mechanics work, maybe, you know, on their own, something that they can do on their own. Every man is, is talented and skilled in some kind of way. Social service ministries, it talks about food stamps and teaching people how they can get health care insurance and just social things. Guys who come out of the prison, they don't even know where to go to get that social security card. Guys who were in who are veterans, need to know how to get their VA checks started again. Just all kinds of social things you can do. Community services, connecting with the church, NA and AA. Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholic Anonymous can be done right here at the church. Now, tell me, out of all of those ministries, do you see any of them that you can do at the church? I'm sure that you do. You may not want to say it out loud, 
Uh, but there is something that you can do. Let me offer you a couple of more ministries. Prayer band. How many can pray? Literature van. How many can give a few dollars for the prison ministry team to buy literature to go to take to the prison? See, those are just simple things that you can do uh, to be involved in prison ministry. And so, once we leave, even if you haven't started going, in, going into the prisons, there should be some effort to start some of these outreach ministries right here in your church to try to reach those who are downtrodden and who are uh, ostracized. So if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So I don't want the Lord to say to me that I never knew you because I wouldn't be involved in prison ministry. So I just want to kind of want to close out this, this section. There's a lot more that I could have added right here, but I just want to close out this section um, with how the Lord can work with the least of these. Years ago, uh, there was a young lad uh, down in, in, in one of our contiguous states uh, called Alabama. Uh, that grew up in the country, out in the sticks, on a dead-end road. Uh, but the only way that you could get to that house that you have to really purposely go there. You couldn't just by happenstance stumble up on the house like you would do normally. He grew up a young guy in the country, um, had to walk to school for three and a half years, um, had perfect attendance, had to come home in the afternoon, wash his one pair of blue jeans, hang them up before the fire, let them dry, take a smoothing iron. I don't know whether you know what a smoothing iron is, but before you had electric irons, you had to heat the irons up by the fire, and then you had to iron the clothes out. Uh, had to do that. Uh, every day, uh, uh, he said that as he walked to school, you know, he had one pair of shoes for the school year, and, and after walking so much, he said that he had so many holes in his shoes that he could step on a piece of chewing gum and tell you which flavor it was. Um, so it was a, some rough areas for those first four years of walking to school, and, and finally, um, he made it into the fourth grade, and the bus started picking him up. Uh, but it was very poor, um, living kind of like a shanty when, when you could see dogs chasing pigs and chickens underneath the house and holes in, in the window or cardboard, and sometimes tin was nailed up to the windows. And... And in the fourth grade, he, he, he began to try to study and, and do his very best. Went on through junior high and then went to high school and had to ride 35 miles one way just to get to high school. And that was because in, in the South, uh, 
there was an integration. The schools were segregated, so you had to go um, where the school of your ethnic nationality was. And so past all of the schools just to get to one, leave at five, leave home at five o'clock in the morning and get back at five in the evening. A long day for them. And after finishing school, um, he was always interested in religious theme because he got baptized when he was nine years old. And, and he began to listen to a, a program called the World Tomorrow Program. It was Herbert W. Armstrong, Radio Church of God. And as he listened to him, he heard Herbert Armstrong talking about the Sabbath. And Herbert Armstrong said that, that Jesus went in the grave on Wednesday evening at 3 o'clock, and he got up on Saturday evening at 3 o'clock. And so from that he began to study the Sabbath. And, and one day he asked uh, one of the deacons at the little Baptist church that he belonged to, said, who keeps the Sabbath? And he said, Seventh-day Adventist. And so one night when he was working uh, in, in Birmingham, Alabama, at a, at a, at a warehouse, uh, he said that, I'm going to get up the next morning and I'm going to find the Adventist church. He got up, jumped in his little red car, took off across town, and the road ran out into the cemetery. He said, well, I know the church's not there because they all dead. And so he turned around, went back, took a left, went north, and he, and he was gone so far north, and he said, I forget it. I'm going home and get in the bed and get some sleep. Turned right, made a right turn, another right turn, looked to the left, what was there? The church was there. So he walked inside of the church, and when the pastor gave the invocation, he gave his life to Christ. But now he had a problem. When he went back to work, told the supervisor, I can't work anymore uh, on Friday nights. And he said, well, if you can't work anymore on Friday nights, then you're fired. You don't have a job. So he fired him on Friday. He called him on Monday and said, come on back to work. Amen. Then he called him back the next Friday. He worked and he asked, he said that if you can't work, on Friday night, then you don't have a job. You're fired. He fired him a second time on that Friday. On Monday, he said, come on back to work. The next Friday, he went in and he got fired again. Monday, he called him back and said, come on back to work. The next Friday, he got fired again. Monday, he said, come on back to work. Next Friday, when he went in the office, he he said, are you going to change your religion and change what you believe? He said, no, I'm not going to change what, I'm, what I believe. I'm thoroughly convicted on this. And he said, all right, go on out there and work. He created a shift especially for him from 9 to 5 that he worked until he left the job. And so what the members of the church had been praying, it said that, that we're going to pray that the job you keep the job that's there that you have and you won't get fired from that job. And so as they prayed, the Lord worked. And I stand here today a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church because of the faithfulness of God. It was that experience that made me solid 
into the Seventh-day Adventist church to see how God worked for me and guided me and brought me through all of that. And when I was going through the rough time, I could feel the presence of God upon me. I could feel the angels touching me. Cheerbops went all over me as I would work in some of those little banana rooms, stacking bananas, and, and it was an experience that I would never forget how God brought me through all of that. And then out of that, and through Oakwood, and then running into a perfect young lady for a wife, bringing me on through that and, and getting married, and now I've been married for 39, getting ready to turn to the 40th year. God has blessed us through all these years, and it's all that when we be faithful, even the least of these, and I was the least of these, and God took the least of these and made something worthy out of it. Not that I am worthy, but because he is worthy, that I was made worthy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary that made a way for me. So I want to submit to you today that no matter what you're going through, hang in there, be faithful, trust in God, he will fix it for you. He'll make a way out of no way. When you die until your last time, he will step right in on time. God wants to show up and he wants to show out in your own life. So let God have his way in your life. He'll make rivers out of desert. He said that when you pass through the waters, I will not let them overflow you. When you pass through the fire, I will not let the flame burn you or kindle upon you. God will take care of you. So I want to just encourage you to stay faithful. May not have what all other churches may have. That doesn't even matter. But the one thing you do have, you got Jesus. And you got his spirit. And if you got Jesus, that is enough. Don't need nothing else but Jesus. And he will bring you through. So you keep your head up. You be encouraged. Because one day, all of this is going to be over. And we're going to leave this old earth atmosphere because Jesus is going to throw down the golden censer. He's going to walk out of the heavenly sanctuary. He's going to mount up on the wings of the angels. All oh, heaven going to come down and he's going to stand up on, on the wings of the angel and he's going to take out a silver trumpet and he's going to blow that trumpet. And he's going to say to the dead that are sleeping in the grave, awake, awake, all ye saints of the dust, I say unto you, arise. And then we're going to be caught up together. The righteous dead shall be raised first. Then the living shall be righteous. Living shall be translated. And we, we're going to be caught up in the air with Jesus. And so we shall ever be with Jesus. We're going on to heaven. Sister White said it's going to take seven days. And those who have never kept the Sabbath are going to stop off and keep the Sabbath before we get in to the pearly gates. And when the angels see us 
You're going to sound off that old song, lift up your heads, O ye gates, lift up ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And Jesus knows what they're saying, but he just said, what, what did you say? Jesus just wanted to hear him say it one more time. As they sung that song again, and we, we marched down through the pearly gates, and, and there are 12 gates into the city, and there's a gate for every one of our personalities. Because all of the sons of Jacob had different kinds of personalities. Some of us may have been short-tempered. They got a short-tempered gate. Some of us may be humble. They got a humble gate. All of them fits our own personality, but the important thing is that we march down to the, to, to, the, to, the, to the throne room. And Jesus takes a crown and put a crown on each one of our heads. And guess what? Everybody's name in here is already on your crown. And you got stars that can be on your crown. And you got to make it to heaven to get your crown. Let nobody take your crown. You got a heart. You got a palm branch that's going to be placed in your hand. Let nobody get your heart. Let nobody get your palm branches. Because you got to sing that song of Moses and the Lamb. Angels don't know the tune. They don't know how to sing it. Because they never experienced redemption story. We are the one that can sing the song. And it's going to be a glorious day. I may not be able to carry a tune in a bucket, but I'm going to sing. And you're going to sing. And it's going to be shouting, hallelujah, forever and ever. Can you imagine sitting at the welcome table, that silver table lined with all kind of precious fruits? And can you imagine being sitting on the table Three miles down the road, you can still see Jesus pick up a grape because you're going to have Canon AE1 eyes that you can see. And you'll be able to fly from world to world with your wings. You don't need any premium gasoline because you have wings. You'll be able to go from world to world. Never have to worry about being hungry because there's a different fruit every month. Tree of life hooked together over the river of life. And all you have to do is fly up and get some or walk over and pull some off. Whatever you want to do is going to be a wonderful experience. And he does it for the least of these. The other worlds have not fallen. So they're not the least of these. We are the least of and we got to work for the rest of our least of these so that they can be part of that too. Shall we pray? Father God, we are so grateful to you. We thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy. We thank you for being such a loving God that you would send your son Jesus to stop being a man, stop, stop being God and become a man so that we could become like him. Oh God, we lift you up, we praise you, we look for the day when we'll be with you on the streets of gold. Oh Lord, but until then, let us do the work that you placed us here to do. 
Let us be busy about laboring for others and helping them to become a part of this vineyard. Oh God, just have mercy upon us, strengthen us, and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.